Okay, hi guys. Welcome to this episode of One More Rep. I have had feedback from the last few episodes that the volume has been a bit quiet. So I am speaking now directly into my microphone and I am going to do the best I can not to turn my head because I'm a fidgeter and I end up spinning around on my chair doing 360 donuts and that's probably why the volume goes from being fine to very quiet in an instant. So I'm going to sit here and speak into this mic and hopefully you're going to hear everything that you, <laughs> that you need to. Um, just as I started recording a podcast, the builders decided to continue their work outside of the office. So if it sounds like there was an explosion like then and like that, it's, it's, it's not my office, don't worry. It's just the builders who are... Sounds like they're taking down a house. I'm um, not entirely sure what they're doing, but it's definitely pretty loud, so apologies. <laughs> so today, I'm going to talk about habits and goals and having clear intentions on, and setting clear intentions for your day and for your week. Last week, we talked about how to stay consistent and... I think it ties in really well with that podcast. I want to start by talking about habits, what they are and how do we how do we get how do we get new ones to stick? Because habits are going to be what drives ultimately our, if we get to our goal, our end goal or not. So a habit is going to be something that you do unconsciously. You can, you know, you you typically will repeat it. It might be good for you. It might not be good for you. It might have an impact on your health, your well-being, your career, uh, any anything like that that's autopilot and something that's repeated. The collections of your habits will put you in the position that you're in now that's what I believe anyway you are in a position where you are because of the collection of habits not because of one individual habit so for example if someone is obese they're not obese because they overeat on a weekend they'll be obese because of several factors not getting the steps in not getting an adequate amount of movement in not getting healthy food healthy nutrition throughout the rest of the week it's not just going to come down to one habit it's going to be a collection of the habits and it's the same for on the other end of the spectrum someone who is an olympic athlete they're not an olympic athlete because they train every day it's more than that they train they look after their recovery, they look after themselves in terms of recovery, they sleep enough, they eat well, they have a balanced lifestyle, they don't party too much. It's a collection of habits that determine where you end up. And taking ownership of that is a big first start. Like it's it's an important thing to do, to be like, you know what, this is where I am because of how I've been acting like this. I'm broke because I've been spending too much. Um, you know, my savings account is non-existent because I don't save. 
all of those things. If we think about how do we form a habit, it's usually because it starts with a cue. And a cue is going to be something that triggers that habit formation. So, for example, you are bored at work, you're distracted, and you end up feeling like you need to be you need to feel better the cue is that you're bored at work you're bored of what you're doing and you're distracted the second part is the craving so the craving is what do you want to feel like how do you want to get how do you want to feel better so i'm going to i'm craving i don't know i'm cra- i'm just craving feeling not bored <laughs> In a matter of words, I'm cra- I, w- I want to be entertained. And the response is what comes next. So the response is going to be scrolling social media because you want to feel, you want you want to be entertained, you want to feel like, you know, a little microdose of serotonin when you listen to a funny reel. And suddenly you're not worried about the pressure of work and the stresses of work and how much you've got to do just for that like split second, that's 30 seconds or minute. So that's your response. And finally, we close the habit in with essentially, what do you get out of that? Out of taking that response, what's the end result? And the result is that you feel better. You suddenly feel entertained, you feel happier for that period of time. It's probably gonna actually cause problems longer term behaving like that like you've now got more work to do in less time (laughs) and that's essentially your habit loop you have a cue you've got a craving you've got a response and you've got the end result and if we think about like food so i had a client the other day be like i ate a whole pack of this i'm not going to say what food because i don't want the client to think it's about them but they were like, yeah, I ate this. I, I only intended to eat one and I ended up eating like 12 cookies, for example. So the cue for them was they were hungry because they'd had no breakfast, a meal deal from the shops at lunch. And it got to 5 p.m. and they were starving because this is a f- fully grown person who needs more calories than what a meal deal provides, like 500 calories and part of that cue as well is they walk past the shops on the way home this is setting them up for for disaster the craving was food they wanted something sugary because they need energy they're probably in a wild calorie deficit and need to get out of that and they're also they also had a shit day at work and they just feel mentally drained and emotionally potentially an emotional connection with this what they're doing and then the response is they go into the shop and they buy packs of these whatever cookies and the result is that they eat the whole packet (laughs) but by the time it got to the result you've already set yourself up for failure it's not the actual eating that was a problem it was how you got there so whenever a client says to me oh fell off track, did this, I'm like, what happened before? 
it's not the actual event. It's not that that's good or bad or the problem. Like, rewind. So how we can avert something like that is Q. We're hungry, but actually, because we've eaten a decent lunch that we brought in ourselves, we had breakfast, that, that hunger cue is less intense. Something we can work around. And also, instead of walking home past the shops, I'm going to take a longer route. Or I'm going to take a different route. I'm going to take the train. I'm going to cycle. Something that doesn't take you past that shop and lead to that habit. I'm going to get home. The craving is still the same. You're still hungry. You still probably had a shit day at work. Can't change that. But it's going to be less intense. Because we've put some actions in place before to bring the intensity of it down. So we're mitigating it a little. Third part, the response, is instead of going to the shops, you're going to schedule something in that makes you feel better. A games night with friends. A light jog with a friend. Hey, let's meet up at 5.30. Let's get let's go for a little jog together. Could be two, three kilometers. Doesn't have to be a 10 kilometer run. It's going to make you feel better. And do you know what else you can do in that run? Tell them that you're going to cook dinner. Tell them what you're going to make. Tell them what you're going to cook. It doesn't have to be something massive. I'm going to cook a roast dinner. But tell them... You know, just just make it up. But then you've got some element of accountability with that as well. You've put in the response, a social interaction, accountability and exercise, rather than falling into the black hole, which is going to the shop and just letting it happen. You've actually forced a different response and you're breaking the cycle, the negative habit, and you're forming a positive one. And all of these things can make you feel better too. It doesn't. You don't need cookies and ice cream to make you feel better. You can actually replace it with other things. Social interactions, exercise. And the what you get out of it, the end result, is a sense of achievement. A sense of, you know, you've, you've looked after yourself better than what you would have. You feel healthier, you feel great. And also, you've been at, you've been more active, which is massive, rather than just you know falling onto a sofa for four hours and you you've finished the bag of cookies and you've watched two seasons of the latest Netflix craze. Is that really going to make you feel better? And also, I would think about if you are going to do that, just before you do, write it down. Write down how you feel now. And write down how, predict how you're going to feel after. And then see if you still want to do it. I feel like this, I feel miserable, I feel like I'm craving, da 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 da. And when I've behaved like this, I'm going to feel, are you going to feel better? Probably not. It's probably going to make it worse. You're going to feel guilt. You're going to feel a sense of shame. You're disappointed in yourself. So then why would you do it? So that can really help. Right, moving on to why breaking these habits is so difficult and break and new bringing new behaviours and changes in because all of this helps to get towards your goals. Like, this is so important. James Clear from Atomic Habits talks about 
I can't remember how he phrased it. The delayed onset of, um, like, the delayed... It is it Essentially, I just don't want to butcher this out of kind of respect, but there's a delay between starting something, like a new habit, and, and practicing a new habit and getting results. It's like, he calls it like the delayed onset of potential, something like that. And effectively what it is, is just like I said before, if you put in 10 units of time or effort, don't expect 10 units of reward out of that. You might put three hours into creating something. For example, for my clients, I created a video, a presentation. It took two hours to make. It took half an hour to record. And when I recorded it, when I was uploading it, to whatever server it was, it just failed. And I could not recover that presentation. The Wi-Fi went down, or it wasn't strong enough to hold that upload, and I lost it. Couldn't recover it. I, yes, I lost my shit. I complained about it to my boyfriend. I had to re-record it again. All in all, I probably spent four hours, five hours on this half-hour presentation. And I could look at that and go, what impact is this really going to make? It's, you know, a handful of my clients are actually going to watch the whole thing. I know that. Uh, It's not going to be like everyone's going to be on the edge of their seat and choose to watch this over their Netflix. I just know that's not going to happen. I I could sit there and think this is going to make so little impact. Why even bother? But I know that if I keep going... If, I, if I'm persistent and, and don't give up, that my efforts will eventually give me a big payback. The small changes and consistent effort that I'm making now will give me a large payback in the future. And it doesn't have to be visible right now. I might put hours and hours and hours of work into something today and not see a reward from that until next month and that could be in my career it could be in terms of generating resources for new clients it could be in terms of my fitness it could be in terms of my health I'm not going to see payback now and I think we're so wired now to get things instantly we've got that instant gratification we just want instant results and you don't deserve it we don't deserve it we don't deserve instant results just because you change your habits now, today, doesn't mean you're going to see results from that. Don't expect them. We don't deserve results that quickly. It takes time. It, and they will come. So, yeah, don't be put off by a lack of results at the beginning when you start something. The, the, the delayed onset of uh results. The next thing I wanted to talk about was how to create behavior change and how to instill these new habits. It starts with your identity and it starts with how you talk to yourself and then it moves on to your collection of habits which I'm going to call like James Clear does in his book systems and processes And then that results in an outcome. But if we start with your identity, 
How do you talk to yourself? And how do you identify in relation to that goal? So let's say it's running a marathon. Is your identity, I'm training for a marathon? Or is your identity, I am a marathon runner? And it doesn't matter that you've not run a marathon yet. And you might think, he's delusional. No. But by placing yourself in the shoes of that type of person, there is more chance of you acting in line with how that person would live. And you can therefore achieve that, more higher chance of achieving that goal. So self-identify in a way that aligns with your end goal, that's the outcome. Weight loss, are you trying to lose weight or are you losing weight? Are you on a weight loss diet? Are you on a weight loss program? Flip that on its head, are you, rather than looking at what the, the weight that you have to lose, are you, are you a consistent gym goer? You see, like, you, you're identifying as someone else. You might not have been to the gym before, but now you're a consistent gym goer. Now I consistently go to the gym every week, once a week. You've just identified as a consistent, someone who consistently acts in a way that's in line with their goal. And I think that's really powerful. That's how you have to start. You have to start there. Then move on to your processes and systems. So... How does that person live? And what habits and behaviours do they have to match who they identify as? So a marathon runner, they train consistently, they work really hard on their on their recovery, they make sure that they're, you know, they have adequate amount of rest, they're careful with how much they run and uh, increase that mileage over time. So, you know, they're tracking, they seek knowledge to you know, get around problems that they might face, they might have blisters, they might have certain joint pain, how can we get around that? Well, we seek knowledge and these are all the kind of habits and behaviours that a marathon runner will have. They eat well, they live a balanced diet, they don't wreck themselves at the weekend because they know it'll hinder their performance, so on and so forth. How does a, someone who is losing weight what processes and systems do they have? They consistently walk, no matter what time of day, what weather it is, not what time of day, it's not like they're getting up at 3am and getting the steps in, it's a bit moronic, but whatever the weather is like, whatever day it is, they'll find a way to get their steps in. They take the stairs instead of a lift, they consistently work in a calorie deficit, they consistently... They're consistently mindful about what they, the food that they put in their mouths. They limit the number of times that they can self-indulge. They are actively not lazy. They are actively working towards changing their bad habits. These are the processes and systems that someone who is overweight will will follow and if you are not if you've not got those systems and processes you are not going to reach that end goal and you are not identifying as the right as the right person if you're identifying as i am overweight 
and I'm going to continue to be that way and continue to be complacent with it and not get my steps in and move from my desk to my sofa and watch TV and eat how I want and what I want, then your identity is not the same as that first person who is losing weight, yeah? And then finally, you've got the outcome, which is the goal that you get. Marathon runner, you lose the weight, you get stronger in the gym. So effectively, what I'm saying is stop focusing so much on the goal and focus more on the self-talk and the identity and focus on the processes and systems that that person would have and adopt them. And if you don't adopt those processes and systems, you're not going to land at the right goal. The next thing I want to talk about is setting goals. So finally, we're on to the topic of the actual podcast. Set smaller goals. Like, set much, much smaller goals. There's nothing more frustrating than hearing that someone's on it one week and off it the next. Or they wrecked themselves in December and now they're doing dry jan in, in, in January. It's frustrating because it's this all or nothing, flick a switch, and there's almost a self-destructive tendency, a self-destructive pattern to behaving like that. Like, are you are you behaving like this because you want to hurt yourself? Because it's painful to go through that. It's exhausting as well to be like on it one week, not on it the next. All of the emotions that come with that. Like, yeah, I'm feeling positive. I'm super on it. I feel great. And then when you're not on it, you feel guilty. You feel ashamed. And then you're back on it because you've wasted a week and now you've got to catch up. And you overate yesterday and, and now you've got to under eat today to make up for that like it it comes in all forms and what I would say is if that's happening you need to reevaluate your goals and they are way too big for you to like you're not matching them every day because they're out of reach they're too big there's only some days that you're hitting them when you don't you self-destruct so rather than if you look at December and you were in the gym occasionally or maybe not at all And now it's January and you're hitting the gym or trying to hit the gym three times a week. Maybe that's just too much of a leap for you. Let's say one gym session a week as a non-negotiable. Start with that. If any other gym sessions come in the week, then fine. But it cannot stop you from doing that one. That's the rule. In February, you're going to hit at least two. A few extra sessions here and there, fine. But you are not going to drop from those two. There, you've started small. In terms of nutrition, you don't have to hit your calorie deficit every day. Let's just stick to a meal plan that doesn't result in you ordering takeout at a weekend, getting Greg's because you just can't be bothered with it anymore because it's you're, you're starving, you're really hungry, and you've not got the willpower or self-resilience yet to be able to... to not going to Greg's and get a past and, and, and get a, a sausage roll. Let's try and stick to a meal plan that's not even on a calorie deficit then. Let's try and set smaller goals of I'm gonna go into Greg's once this week. 
I'm going to order one takeout this week. I'm going to meal prep one day this week and cook three meals out of it. I'm going to I'm going to batch cook something and split it into three. Start there and do that every week. And then in eight weeks time, four weeks time, eight weeks time, put another layer on top of that. This time I'm going to go to Greg's and I'm going to order a sandwich instead of your typical sausage roll or cake, whatever it is. You're just progressively making it a little bit better, 1% better. And you do the same in the gym. You're not, like, in the gym, you're not going to go from never doing a bench press to then loading up the bar to 100 kilos and trying to bench it. You would start small and increase it gradually. But there's an actual obvious, like, objective health risk with putting 100 kilos on a bar and trying to bench it. You know you're going to injure yourself if you've never done it before. The issue with food is that we can put this into our body and not see the impact that it's having over a short term. We see it over the long term, over that chronic, a chronic kind of time frame. It's not an acute here and there, bam, we've got an issue. It it comes with time. So start small. Progressive overload applies not just in the gym, but also with your with your habits. And I just talked about willpower. I mentioned willpower, and I think there's a really interesting study that I came across the other day. And we've, we've been thinking about willpower in the wrong way. It's not a finite resource. What's important with willpower is your mindset to it. So if you believe that you get in from a hard day at work and you deserve to have time off, you deserve to have that that cheat meal, quote unquote, you deserve to sit in front of the TV and watch Netflix. That is more powerful than whether willpower is or isn't a finite resource. Your mindset to it and your approach to it is going to override that. And there is someone else who's had equally as stressful a day of work and equally as many demands who is getting in from that shift and they are not they are not giving in and it's not because they have higher or lower willpower i don't think it's just because their attitude towards willpower is different they're not saying i deserve this because i've had a hard day as soon as you do that as soon as you have self kind of pity and and i'm saying this from a position of like people might be listening to this thing and he has no responsibilities he just posts on instagram and like poses in front of a mirror trains at a gym and you know he's got it all together it's not true like that's one aspect of many that's one plate of many that are spinning right now and let me tell you that shit is frustrating as hell and i wouldn't even say that that is me even when i'm like posting on instagram like that's an act and that's one aspect, it's one fraction of my job. And it drains the hell out of me. It would drain the hell out of anyone. The number of retakes that you have to do, the coming up with ideas, posting it. Sometimes you get good feedback, sometimes you get bad feedback. Like there are so many things that can drain my willpower if I choose to believe it. But I don't. It happened 
I'm working through it and I can do this next task. I can do this activity. There is nothing physically stopping me from shutting everything down now at 6 p.m. and going out for a half hour walk. There is nothing stopping me. There is only me. I am choosing to believe that I deserve this time off. And I think that is where a lot of people go wrong. Sorry, just to go back to the study on willpower, what they did to kind of prove disprove that willpower is a finite resource is they had this group of people and they split them into two groups. And one group, the, the group A, believed that willpower was a finite resource. They believed that it can get used up over the day and then you've got less of it to then have self-control in the next task like if it gets used up you've got less self-control and group b believed that you have no limit on the amount of willpower that you that you have kind of just like i explained it's it's more of an attitude and a mindset and group a and group b i'm i'm not going into the full details of the study so if you want to read more on this um i've got the title of it written down somewhere but it's something like uh, willpower and the effect of glucose uh, glucose drink on self-control. If you type that, you'll find it. <coughs> so group B, they believe that willpower is not limited and both groups would do a mentally fatiguing task like solving a puzzle, for example, and then they would drink a sugary drink, glucose, and group A had better performance in self-control, whereas group B had no significant difference they had no change so what's what's important there is that group a's performance fluctuates depending on their attitude towards willpower when it's high when willpower after they've had a sugary drink they believe that their willpower is higher and they perform better on self-control whereas group b their performance is consistent regardless of whether willpower is quote-unquote spent or not spent there is more and more evidence coming through that group b is has got the correct thinking towards willpower and actually you can see how group a it would be harmful to think this way that once willpower is drained i am going to make worse decisions perform worse when willpower is high i'm going to make better better decisions and perform better so I, I think that was a really interesting study and it just goes to show how important your mindset is and your attitude towards it is. And you can change that. You can change your mindset and you can change your attitudes. You just need to, well, change it and believe it and implement it. Finally, and I think I said finally before, but there is another interesting part that I want to talk about in terms of fixing these habits and behaviors into place. How do we actually fix? So we talked about how to change them. We talked about identity. We talked about processes and systems. How do I now keep it going? Two, <coughs> excuse me, two tips. One, track. If you are managing to finally, you know, let's say meal prep on a Sunday for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, write that shit down get a little whiteboard in your kitchen and create a little table for monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday breakfast lunch dinner on sunday check off for monday lunch tuesday lunch wednesday lunch 
that's an element of tracking that will reinforce that habit. You will see that you are organized. It will feel great to be organized. You will, it will feel great to tick those off. And when those checks aren't there, it will remind you to go back to it. So have a visual reminder of this habit. If it's training in the gym, get yourself a little logbook, write that shit down. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to, you know, no one's going to review it. Nobody's going to let you, this is your diary. So write what the hell you want in it. But track that shit down. Food, again, just coming back to food, doesn't have to be calories and macros and exact things. You could just keep a food journal next to your bed. This is what I did when I had an unhealthy relationship with food. I would track my food this way. And when I say unhealthy, I mean unhealthy, like really bad. Binging, I would have good and bad foods in my head and the bad foods I would not eat. I would go to a restaurant with friends or family and not eat a meal. That's how out of control it got. But without going into too much detail there, the way that I got around it and the way I developed healthier food habits was I just kept a little journal next to my bed and I would write down what I ate at the end of the day. And I didn't know, I didn't get exactly right. I would miss out maybe a few things because of memory. Memory is actually not great. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Um, sorry, I can see my... <laughs> I can see my boyfriend just looking at me out the window and he's distracting me and there's no blinds in this office so I just have to unfortunately go through this sort of thing I'm gonna face the other way to close this out (laughs) um it's thrown me completely off track here so tracking your food in a journal just writing it down like breakfast I had an apple I had like two cups of oats, write that down and reflect on it. And you can think, what did I do well today? And what did I, could I improve on? So I had three pieces of fruit today. Sweet. That's great. But I had half a pack of digestive biscuits at lunch. Okay. This is something I could improve on. Why did that happen? Because I didn't eat a big enough lunch. I didn't take lunch in. I had digestive biscuits readily available, like right in front of me at my, on my desk so I didn't control my environment very well. Okay, tomorrow, we're going to make sure those biscuits are out of reach. We're going to put them somewhere else so they're not a visual distraction. And I'm going to try and eat three pieces of fruit again, but I'm going to have three. I'm going to put three biscuits into my lunch. And so I've still got the treat there, not completely. uh, I shouldn't say treat, sorry. I, I, I sometimes slip into the into these words, I, I, you know, these these foods that I, I, I really like to eat, like a biscuit, I'm going to still have them, but I'm going to limit my portion sizes. That's your food journal, and that can be really powerful. And the second tip that I have is create a tribe around, or put yourself in a tribe of people with similar habits and similar behaviors to what you want and that means sometimes cutting people out your life who are objectively just not good for you a really good example is given by James Clear again about if you 
land yourself in a new house in a new neighborhood and everyone on your street is looking after their front garden cutting the grass you know clearing away any rubbish what is that going to make you feel like you need to do it's going to make you feel like you need to look after your front garden because if you don't you're going to be an outcast and they're you're going to be worried that your neighbors are going to judge you because you're not looking after your front garden. There's a social pressure, like a peer pressure, to behave in a certain way. And if you flip that on its head, if your neighbours aren't looking after their front garden, and it's full of rubbish, and it's dirty, and it's overgrown, you're going to feel like you don't need to look after your front garden. And it's the same with your body, and your fitness, and your health. If you are in a tribe of people who neglect their health and fitness, who go out every weekend and smash their body with drugs and alcohol, there are no surprises that you're having trouble sticking to healthy habits. It is your responsibility to put yourself in a group of people who have a healthy approach to nutrition and fitness and their lifestyle and you know there is no easy way around that but you do have the power you don't have to be friends and close with people who land in your immediate vicinity go out and seek people with the same drive and ambition and goals that you do and leave them behind uh you know there are plenty of studies out there where it's like, show me your closest five friends and I'll show you how successful you're going to be. And it's true. These people will have an influence on you. What you consume will have an influence on you. The adverts you choose to watch, the TV you choose to watch will influence the decisions that you make. So take responsibility and surround yourself with good people and you know, you, you will end up staying more consistent with your goals just because of that social interaction and that social pressure. That is all I want to say on this. Uh, I'm just going to check the time. I'm actually really worried. 38 minutes. <gasps> I think that's the longest podcast I've done. Um, but I hope you enjoyed it. And I'm not even sure what to title this one anymore because we've talked about such a variety of things. Willpower, setting goals and mowing your front garden. I think that's going to be the title. All right, until next time. Bye.